With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome back to Surf Splendor. I'm your host, David Scales. Excited for today's show. We've got special guest, Dave Proden, the Vice President of Communications for the WSL. Cool dude. Uh, Turns out he's a listener of the show. You know, we talk a lot about WSL, the World Surf League, the professional contest circuit for surfing. We talk a lot about it on this show and um, speculate, make suggestions, criticisms, Things like that, and uh, occasionally we do get emails from various people at the WSL, and so um, Dave is one of those people, and then other people around Dave have said, like, hey, we'd love to send Dave over and answer some of the questions that you guys have. So this has kind of been in the works for probably a year or so, and we could have made it happen earlier, but we just kind of haven't gotten around to it, but finally came together. Dave's a cool dude. We're really grateful, actually, to get his insight. So thanks, Dave. He he drove down, I mean, literally two hours at before before light, like drove down to San Clemente and um, surfed, had breakfast, and then met us to record this at 9 a.m. So we got all that done before 9 a.m. So big effort on Dave's part. So we appreciate that. Um, there's a lot going on in surfing, though, that we don't get to uh, that's relevant to news. But I was hoping Scott and I would get a chance to kind of discuss, but um, we got it. We got 90 minutes with Dave, and we wanted to use that time efficiently. So we asked all the burning questions that we've been wondering, and we'll have to save the news stuff for a later date. But I'll try to wrangle Scott. Hopefully, maybe our schedules can align early next week, and uh, we can cover some of this stuff. Among it, the Puerto Escondido Challenge where there was a big wave event there. Greg or Grant Baker won the event with – he had a perfect 10 in the final on a right. That was pretty crazy, really crazy. And then um, I think he had one earlier as well. So pretty historic event, crazy conditions. It's a new location for the Big Wave World Tour that we were really excited to see be added to the tour just because it's so much different than the other waves on the tour. So that was rad. Um, the J Bay Open is starting up, so excited about that. Chris Ward's doing 60 days in jail, stemming from a wife beating that he uh, delivered back in February, and we covered it on this show. Really gnarly situation. Um, there's a bunch of video clips that came out in the last couple of weeks that are so gnarly. Um, so that to discuss... 
Kelly Slater's piece with Graham Benzinger, which is news, but it'll still be relevant when we get around to recording our next episode. The dude driving the jet ski into the wedge was so crazy. I mean, that is a must-see moment right there. I'm sure you've seen it. Um, Kid rents a jet ski, has his girlfriend on the back, drives it into a 20-foot day at the wedge, like into the shore break, but tries to avoid a wave breaking on him and runs the thing straight into the rock jetty. Crazy. Like, bails off the ski right before they hit the, the jetty, as does his girlfriend. The ski ends up on the jetty, on the rock jetty, then gets washed off and smashed back into it. He and the girl have to get rescued because, of course, they're just getting rocked by the shore break. Um, so full-on kook mo- must-see moment, and then that dude is the kook of the week, and then the lifeguards at the wedge are the dukes. The lifeguards, not only at the wedge but elsewhere, who risk their lives to save absolute imbeciles inevitably every summer. Um, in Southern California, for sure, every summer you just see full-on kookery but I know it's going on throughout the world probably as well. So lifeguards around the world, shout out, Duke of the Week. Um, those are things that we didn't get to discuss, but they were in my notes. So there you go. I'll post those on surfsplendorpodcast.com along with all of the things that we discuss with Mr. Proden uh, regarding the WSL. And then feel free to chime in on this episode on surfsplendorpodcast.com. We also have a full archive of all past episodes, 130, give or take. Tons of content for absolute free, crazy. As well as a soundtrack, basically a song archive of every song ever used in every episode of Surf Splendor. All there, surfsplendorpodcast.com. Rate and review the show in iTunes. Follow us on social media at Surf Splendor. Share it with friends. That helps the show grow. We'll keep getting radical guests like Dave if you keep spreading the good word. All right? You know what? One other thing I wanted to mention um, that I listened to today was, obviously you're into podcasts if you're listening to this, but Joe Rogan, the Joe Rogan Experience, did an interview with Shane Dorian, which um, was really good. And Gave me insight into Shane that I hadn't had before. Very little about surfing, actually, but a lot about bow hunting. And obviously, we knew that he was a bow hunter. We've discussed it in our most recent show, actually. I mentioned a video that was done about Shane, but Joe Rogan is also a hunter. And so he has um, really detailed questions that he asks Shane. I don't really like the Joe Rogan podcast. I do, I'm cool with Joe as a person from what I, you know, I've seen him at the UFC and stand up and I've listened to the podcast, but the podcast goes super long and, um, there's moments or there's 30 minute segments of it that just get boring to be perfectly honest. So I've checked out of the podcast. They run, this one runs about two and a half hours. I've checked out of the podcast in general. I don't listen to it, but when he has a particularly interesting guest, I will put in the time and this Shane Dorian interview is well worth it. So I'm going to post a link to that on surfsplendorpodcast.com as well. Or you could just search in iTunes for the Joe Rogan experience. It's super high-rated podcast. You'll find it instantly. Check that out. It's maybe three or four episodes old at this point, but it just got published a week ago. Pumps out a lot of content. All right, that's it. I'm going to toss to Scott Bass and I interviewing Dave Proden. Enjoy the show. I'll be back at the end to sign us off. Yeah. Cool. Yes, 
soft roll in. Aloha, there's no soft roll in. <laughs> yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Welcome, everybody, down the line surf talk. It is Tuesday. No, is it Wednesday? It's Wednesday. And it is June 29th, Wednesday morning here in Southern California. Scott Bass here, along with David Lee Scales. And you're listening to Downline Surf Podcast, Surf Talk, Down the Line. Or as David liked to call it, what do you call it, Surf News? Totally. Try to distance myself. <laughs> That's really lame. It's really Down the Line Surf Talk. <laughs> Let's just cut to the chase. Whose audio file is this? Whose equipment is this, Scott? Is it Down the Line? It's funny. I was, I was thinking about that this morning. I was like, God, this guy owns the means of production. I, I was thinking, I was getting real proletariat, you know? I was thinking Marxist terms. Here's my question to you. Why don't you call it surf news? That's what it should be. Yeah. <laughs> Are we no, really going to start this no, conversation? You started. No. <laughs> you always started. Well, look, because it's called down the line. That's why. Right. Um, look, let's cut to the chase. We are super excited and very um, stoked and happy to have Dave Proden from the World Surf League in our studio, which, by the way, is the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center's um, Board of Directors Library. And um, Dave, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Big fan. And how are Dave's levels? Are we good? Is he, We're good. Is he talking loud? Yeah, let me just... For the listener, Scott and I are sharing a microphone today. We only have two. So Prodent has one, and then we have one. So that's why we might be cutting in and out. But It's going to be a fist fight. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the mic. No, um, so, Dave, um, where do we start? Where Do you, do you have What's, some starters? Yeah. Why don't you- Dave, introduce yourself. What's your position with the WSL? Yep, my name is Dave Prodan. I'm the VP of Communications for the World Surf League. Uh, I started at the then ASP in 2006. Oh, so wow. this is my 11th year. What did, what did you start doing with the ASP? Yeah, I, uh, I actually started as an intern. I used to I used to work down at the Rip Curl Surf Center in San Clemente and then started writing for Evan Slater at Surfing Magazine. Okay. I uh, took an internship with the media department at the ASP because I was, you know, a bug's acolyte. I liked the whole, yep, find the world's best surfers. Who were you working with, Jesse? Uh, no, Jesse had moved on. I was with uh, Melissa Buckley and oh, yeah. Wayne Dart at the time. And then uh, they created a position at the North America office with Meg Bernardo. Uh, so I cut my teeth there. So a lot of fun and yeah, hung around and I'm still here. Yeah. How much of the team transitioned from the ASP to the WSL? Oh, man. I think by the end of it, there was there's probably only half a dozen of us that were sort of full-time okay. uh, non-contractor employees. So. We're, we're holding on there at the end. Yeah. And uh, we're fortunately raptured. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Raptured. Um, interesting. You know, uh, Prodan. It's, I've, I've called you Prodan for like 15 years. I, I, I don't. I'm not an authority on it, sadly. I don't know how no, you pronounce no. it. It's Romanian. I know that. Oh, interesting. All right. Well, tell us a little bit. I don't know. Is there somewhere you want to start? Am I, do you no. mind if I just, Sean, let's get let's cut to the chase here. Let's get Straight into in. this, Dave. Let's do Are you it. prepared for this? Well, I, I listened last week, and you said that um, you would have to look at my face to see if I was lying or not. So I, <laughs> I, I thought I'd bring like a Halloween mask as a joke, but I, I'd opted not. You wear that. sunglasses like you're playing poker or something. Yeah, exactly. Tell us about the Santa Monica office. What is the corporate culture there like? I often say to myself and wonder out loud, gosh, what's it like when you go into work there? Is it... Explain corporate culture in Santa Monica, the WSL. It, it's pretty radical. I mean, I guess coming from the, the old ASP where we didn't have a lot of people and we were all operating fairly like satellite and on the road a lot. 
Um, so it's a sort of blend of like a lot of people from like top of class field, like in marketing or commercial or um, you know broadcast that have come from Visa and ESPN and Fox and you know pick your pick your entity uh, blending in with a bunch of people that were there before. So you kind of have this. Um, mutual respect from you know the, the sort of the newer employees coming in from outside of the industry, respecting the inherent knowledge of people that have been there for a while, and vice versa. You know, a lot of the things that we really want to see happen before um, the acquisition are now happening. You know, mm. so that's kind of exciting. Was that not the case with the ASP? I mean, did you not have top of field? There's just no resources, right? Yeah, I mean, I think you know the the way it was structured before the ASP was really sort of a, a framework um, for the for the sport. You know, we provided the the judging guidelines and the scheduling guidelines and the contest format and some basic sort of media protocols um, and some other sort of back of house services, but we we didn't have any of the responsibilities nor the revenue that those responsibilities generate to have any sort of sure. departments or anything like that. How big is the staff like at Santa Monica? Santa Monica, it's probably like 40 people if wow. everyone's there on any given day. And that's across the executive teams, the finance department, the content team, the social team, the broadcast team. We have a studio with like a, a production group there. Yeah. Um, so they're doing stuff all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Is Paul Speaker in the office? Today he's not. Today he's in New York. What's it like working with Paul Speaker? He has uh, an idea minute. Like he is mm. quite the visionary, and um, I mean, he's a lot of it's completely inspired. You know, I think he came along at a time in the sport where it was fortuitous, given the global financial crisis, given where the sport was at, and given the potential that was there. Um, and like I said, a lot of the things that we wanted to do for a long time, whether it was like, why can't we just put all the events on one platform, mm -hmm. right? In 2000, don't pick your poison, 2011, if you were a fan of men's surfing and you want to watch the 11 events, you have to go to 11 different websites. It'd be 11 different broadcast teams, 11 different production values. And it's a huge barrier to entry to core fans, let alone sort of uninitiated fans. So stuff like that, it was just, you know, stuff that the ASP staff kind of recognized was essential for a long time. And then uh, when we were acquired, it was sort of the first things we did. Transition all onto one platform. Yeah, one platform, you know, invest in the broadcast team and the production capabilities. Yeah. Um, you know, have a sort of consistency across all that. Yeah, and the viewing experience has improved for for sure from all of those things that you mentioned. Um, I think I, one thing that I've noticed is um, obviously technology changes everything, and it, every year is kind of different than the previous year. There, and as the media team, you have to adapt and almost foresee some of these changes in advance. And what I've kind of come to the realization with, maybe with doing this podcast, is like Scott and I live in a pretty micro – we live in this super microcosm of being core surfers. And that's not really who uh, advertisers are looking to advertise to in a sense. You know, they, they are – they're not trying to exclude them by any means. But it's like us sitting and watching every minute of a contest is not how most people see this content, you know. There's only a select few people who are going to watch every heat of every event. Scott and I being among Two them. Of us. <laughs> right, exactly. No, no, I'm just kidding. So we're, we're, we're viewing it through the eyes of like, what ads are you putting on in between heats? And how come they're so redundant? And we're being hypercritical about these things. But I step back and I realize, no, it goes out on YouTube. Like the 
post-production package of it goes out on YouTube or whatever other platforms. And that's really where the most people see it. You know, how many millions of people saw Mick Fanning's thing live or post versus live, you know? Um, so maybe we should take this time to say how much we appreciate the WSL and what you guys are doing. As you know, Dave and I are big fans of pro surfing. And um, despite some of the things you may hear from this very room, um, you know, we love the sport and um, we love watching it and we're into it, which is good for the WSL because we have a small audience and we get to sort of be hypercritical about it because we're such fans, much like you are, Dave. I know you're a big fan of it. If you weren't working at WSL, you'd be into it. And so let's just start there, right? We're fans, but because of that, we're hypercritical. Yeah. And the, yeah, totally. So I, so that um, my view, I just kind of had realizations more recently that like my viewing experience and my critique is just really the minority. The vast majority is viewing it either on YouTube or wherever else, I think, after the fact. You know? uh, I, I mean, I think that there's a majority of people that all have criticisms across different parts of it. Oh, and and I sure. think it kind of speaks to what we were talking about before, where it's like there's this blend of cultures happening in the sport now from the sort of core fans that have watched it for, I mean, 40 years in some cases, either live or, or on the webcast, and a bunch of the new fans too. And I mean, I think, you know, having worked in the industry for a long time and certainly at the ASP, I don't necessarily see those two groups as mutually exclusive. Like, mm -hmm. I think there's a balance between where you can educate and entertain and engage both groups. Right. Um, and I'll be honest, I think across all departments, we're still working to find that balance. Yeah. And sometimes it's a it's, shifting target. Really. It's a shifting target. And there's going to be some things that you really like. And there's going to be some things that you really like that other people don't. Right. So, yeah, totally. How much salt is in the office up there in Santa Monica? My point is, and I think I know, you know what I mean, there's some MBAs that are brilliant, bright, have tons of ideas but can't swim, and then there's guys like you and me who have just as many perhaps brilliant, bright ideas but don't read a spreadsheet but do surf. Um, what's the percentage of salt versus non-salt in the Santa Monica office? Man, that's a good question. I mean, as far as enthusiastic fans, like every person, for sure. Like if they weren't working there, it'd probably be watching the sport. Mm. As far as people that surf uh, in that office, 80% on some if level. If the surf is firing at Malibu, which it has been, can you leave work and go for a surf at lunch? Or do you feel like there's somebody watching over you? You can, judge it you can definitely leave and go for a surf. Yeah. Um, you know, funny enough, we're at Bay Street, which I think is where Strider grew up surfing, which explains a lot. Um, so I don't surf too much there, but there are people that surf in and around LA County, um, which I'll, what does Bay street explain about Strider? <laughs> <laughs> it's just a super eclectic part of Venice. Um, and he, and he has deep roots there and he is sort of like the godfather, not so much of Bay street, but that sort of area of Santa Monica. And, um, you know, I, I grew up surfing San Clemente pier, which explains way too much about the way I surf. Um, you know, and I think Strider, like he's got a, it's amazing that he's grown into sort of the hard charger that he is at mm -hmm. Pipe and um, Chofu and, and in Fiji. Um, but I guess that's a weird part of surfing too. Like you see so oh. many guys from Florida have that same thing. So yeah. I think it probably made him really hungry for big waves. <laughs> yeah. Dave, you may or may not know this, but I have um, quite a few informants at your office. And I have found out that you secretly watch Game of Thrones at work on Hulu. <laughs> and so what I want to know is, 
Is Paul Speaker more like Joffrey Baratheon or Tywin Lannister? Which one is Paul Speaker more like? Tywin, one of the major protagonists, antagonists, you would say, antagonists. Well, they're both antagonists. Right, or Ty- Joffrey. Which one is Paul Speaker? Tywin Lannister. He's an effective operator, 100%. Cold-blooded, cutthroat Tywin Lannister, Paul Speaker. They're you, you gave, one in the same. You, my options were efficient or moron. So, wow, I went with yeah. efficient. I, I gave you bad options. <laughs> do you know or do you watch yeah. Game of Thrones? Yeah, I mean, wow, a I'm bit. the only one who doesn't, I guess. Oh, see, it's funny. Funny, I was, I figured we had an agenda, and I was going to humbly suggest we pivot at some point to discuss season six. But you, <laughs> you brought it up organically, so this is good. Scott well, has another podcast, I Game of told, Thrones podcast. We're gonna do we're gonna do that afterwards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was told when Dave shifts to Game of Thrones to cut him off and move forward. Oh, yeah, yeah. You definitely have informants at our office. Yeah. Um. Let's get to some things that we want to see. Um, we want to know your thoughts on these and perhaps what the thoughts are uh, from the higher-ups at the WSL. This is one of Dave's things, and it's a brilliant concept. I'm not sure if we can implement it or not. But Dave and I would love to see, and I think for transparency's sake, I think the fans would like to see this, soundproofing for the judges so that they do not know the score a surfer requires to move on to the next round. Is that something you discuss? Is it something we can look forward to? Is transparency part of the agenda? Uh, it's definitely something that's been discussed because I think it's been brought up a few times over the year. I think Kelly Slater even brought it up a few years ago. He um, must listen to it. I think he got I, it from I, us for well, sure. Well, sure did. Yeah, I, I can confirm he listens to yeah. it. So you can tell your readers that, fans that. Um, I think it's something that technologically is doable. You know, I, I do think that it, it sort of ties in the line about the head judge thing. I know a lot of people aren't fans of the head judge and they think he's uh, influencing scores one way or another. Sure. And it's really hard to have that discussion without without going there. But the reality with the head judge is it's more of a manager exactly. of the room where it's like, does, do people want a replay? Okay, then um, we're going to put a replay up. All right, can the priority judge let the beach commentator know who has priority? That's really his core function. And I think the communication on like a closed circuit headset would work between the judges and the head judge and priority judge, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think it's just something that we haven't really pursued too much. Is it something that you're going to pursue? I think it's an important... I mean, I think it's it's a conversation for the commissioner's office, um, and I think it just boils down to will. How do we get it to Kieran's attention? How do um, we? I'm sure, is this... Kieran's going to listen to this as soon as it goes up to him. <laughs> I don't know about We've that. We've done it with direct pipeline. <laughs> I, I think the um, the, the I mean, conversation your sense is, as a fan, Dave. As a fan, do you think it makes sense? Because obviously, technologically, it's totally doable. Like, this I, yeah, doable. it's it's doable. I think it makes sense, really, more from an optics standpoint. Like, I don't think I've been. I spent a lot of time with the judges, and I spent a lot of time up in that room. And I don't know if I've ever been in a situation where they've gone, okay, what was the last score? What does this guy need before they lock in their score? I don't even know if it's more discussed. about perception, though, yeah, optics, of the fans. for sure. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's something that can be investigated. I think the only pushback would be does the headset compromise their ability to judge? I wouldn't think of an argument that it would, but that would be the only thing I would push back on. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to take the opposite stance. I think that. It's impossible to not have some sort of emotional tie to the two surfers in a given heat for the judges. Uh, For anybody who's just a fan of surfing, if you've got one guy who's surfing, you grew up 
loving or didn't grow up loving, but just apps, just love versus a guy who you don't particularly love. One guy who you think should be winning the heat versus another. And there's a really questionable score coming through and you know that he needs a six, five and it's right on the line. I, I have a really hard time understanding or believing that your emotion doesn't get tied into the score that you deliver subconsciously. Even. Yeah. Or even if you are a goofy footer and there's, yeah. Goofy, and, and I think he's that, from your hometown or whatever. You I know? think the structure is whether intentionally or not, um, elegantly handled it through ensuring that the panel is a diverse representative of, of many, many countries. Um, as well as breaking down the the high and the low score and averaging the middle three. So I think a lot of those potentially sub, subconscious or, um, biases get meted out over the course of scoring. I have a question for you guys because I've had a theory for a long time. Like I actually think that surfing is probably the most watched and I'd argue the most passionately watched subjectively scored sport on the planet. Hmm. Counter or agree? I agree. Well, subjectively judged, like you're talking about gymnastics, for sure ice skating gets tons of eyeballs. Hmm. I've, I watch ice skating because they're beautiful. I don't know enough about the judging of ice well, skating. Well, the point is is that what subjective sport, yeah, the, is, I, I, what I subjective sport is watched more than subjective judging by, of, of surfing. I would suggest to you that gymnastics and ice skating are watched by way more eyeballs just because... Every four years. Exactly. I was going to say, when exactly. do you, when but, can but you watch year in, year out. I guess year in, year out would be my... Year in, year out could be surfing. Could, what could is be. another objective sport? I don't know. It's it boils Subjective, excuse me. Diving? Subjective judging is a whole thing you've heard me spiel on before, and I'm not going to go there, but... Um, I, back to the soundproofing thing, I agree with what you said in that there's these other implements that are in place to help meet that end goal. But this would just be one further one because the goal isn't fully satisfied yet, I don't feel. This would be one additional implement, and I don't know what the downside would be. You know, No, I, and I don't have an argument there. The only yeah. downside would be to test it through the commissioner's office and the judging panel to ensure that some unforeseen hindrance to scoring as well as they can is in place or isn't in place. Let me ask you this. Um, I hear sometimes them talking, uh, commentators talking about the judge's angle and what they're seeing Mm. isn't exactly the same as our viewer experience. Mm. Can you define that for us? Well, I I think there's two parts. There's the whole like the, the cantos of Ezra Pound where it's like you can never fully replicate reality, right? You can't describe it or anything like that. So I think seeing surfing live versus seeing it in a video or on your phone or on a tablet is always going to be different. Um, And secondly, they do, as of I think the last year and a half, two years, have an angle from the judges booth every event. And that's when you'll often see like on the live uh, broadcast judges replay or whatever. And that means they're reviewing waves. That's the angle that they see. And that angle is not in the water. It's not on a drone. It's not down the beach. So... You know, sometimes surfing looks radically different. Like, I, I always thought this at, like, backdoor and pipe. I always kind of had the theory that backdoor waves scored a little bit better because it broke away from the tower and you couldn't see exactly how deep that guy was as opposed to pipe. But I am a goofy footer, so I'm probably a little biased God. as well. Is that is that to say... <laughs> <laughs> goofy foot bias. Is that to say, though, that the judges don't have access to the angles that we're seeing? They haven't historically, but they do now. Okay. Yeah, as of probably... Honestly, immediately post-acquisition, so 2014, 15, 16, as soon as sort of uh, everything was put into place. And, you know, for the first time, really, the judges via the commissioner's office had access to resources that they'd wanted for a long time. Totally. You know? 
Yeah, because as far as I'm concerned, give them every angle. Let them really analyze the nuance of it. And there's not enough time, oftentimes, to really break it down that much, but still. Yeah, you're pushing up against two things, right? Like, access to all those angles will push back against sort of the instinctive score that they want to throw, and also time, which we get a lot of criticism for the judges taking too long to throw scores, let the surfers know what the situation is in heats. Yeah, and honestly, that's one thing I've never thought. Like, I'm fine with as much time as it takes to score a ride is fine with me. And I'd probably fall in that camp, too. Yeah. Um, But I know there's people that... People do, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What is the WSL doing internally up in Santa Monica, probably the production staff, to nurture rivalries? Hmm. I've always... I've often spouted here about the importance of rivalries in sport, and that's why we love watching, you know, um, MMA or... Um, you know, even boxing back in the day when it was Ali or, or Tyson. Um, and of course, in surfing, we, ha- we have some great rivalries. And I'm just wondering, does the production department, does the WSL put as much emphasis as I put on it? Um, because I believe it's quite important to grow the sport that we have guys with the black hat and we have guys with the white hat and everyone has their their favorite and their non-favorite and there are certainly rivalries on the scene that I think could be further excavated. Totally agree. It's it's definitely a conversation that the WSL has, but manufacturing Not rivalries. Not manufacturing, but yeah. we know there's like for instance Wiggly. There seems to be something with Wiggly just based on the last event that I think that we could nurture if if I was in the production department, I would be asking the editorially, is there something we can do which isn't which is organic, yeah. that can help us move this along because I think the fans want that. I, I, I want bloodlust. Yeah, and I think the, the guiding light there is like authenticity. Like in, yeah. in the information age, I don't think, and, and you agree with me, Scott, you can't manufacture anything. And I think there are some rivalries. I think the hard thing for, for probably all of us in the room is that the benchmark, at least for me in my formidable years, was, was Andy Kelly. You know, yeah. And that was not manufactured. It was certainly leveraged. But that, I don't feel like we're on that level anymore. And I think that that post that era, like surfing kind of went through a phase where like it, it wasn't cool to try and lose, right? It was cooler not to try, and then you kind of had an excuse, right? It was sort of this whole aesthetic of, of apathy on yeah. tour, right? And I, I've always countered that and said, like, well, that's why Andy was my favorite surfer, to a large extent it was like he was kind of like babe ruth he would like call his shot he's like i'm here to win and when he won it was like well he's like a magician and then when he lost that was still very like exciting yeah and i think that we're starting to see that i think we've kind of gone through this like pre-social media post-social media thing now where, where authenticity is starting to bubble back to the surface and people are just like there's no point in marketing myself or you guys marketing me as someone i'm not mm-hmm. like if i'm an angry guy i'm an angry guy and I think, I think honestly, probably the, in my opinion, is the Adriano Kelly. I think they probably still have a bit of passion between them because those two careers have a lot of hits between them. You know, whether it was Puerto Rico, 2010, or whatever, and and they've often butted heads. See, I think that right there is something that could be excavated through the production department. Totally. I'm not sure if it has, but just the fact that I didn't even realize. I know that Adriano sort of has Kelly's number. Mm. Is that correct? I don't even know what the count is. I know he did for a period of time. And I think the only reason I remember is because so few people did. It was like B. Durbage Nobody w- w- was against Kelly and kept beating him. And yeah. then, but then Adriano, like he, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to diverge too much, but 
you know, like his career, he came ahead of the Brazilian storm when it still was sort of uncool yeah. mm-hmm. to be him. And, yeah. and he just had the unfortunate timing of his ascension to the top five running up against the basically oh, society's sure. goal of having Kelly win 10 titles. Right. And he was like the one guy that's like, no, like I'm going to, I'm, I'm not giving him the title. I want to win, you know? And I think as a result, he took a lot of sort of shotgun shells to the chest via the public. See, because that he would be a great story Kelly. to see on the... Totally. And, and those guys are so mature now in their respective careers that I think they would both be willing to, to maybe do some B-roll on the side about it. You know, when they both have titles, there's... Totally. Know. Yeah, totally. I think, I think that's important. And I think it's... It's not only the rivalry thing; it's also just telling sort of the um, the background stories on a lot of the guys and girls on tour because yeah. those are all really important. I think to creating like an emotional connection of like why should I tune in if I don't want to see the technicalities of Stuart Kennedy's bottom turn or something. Right. Like. Well, the um, red- I want to see Gabe lose because I don't like Gabe. That's and I'm just using that as an example. Sure. That's what people are thinking. I'll tell you, Red Bull did that 21 Days series for a while, and mm-hmm. one of their three part. Uh, profiles was on Adriano and sure. it covered some of what we just talked about and it actually made it endeared me to him yeah you know and I, I don't like his surfing anymore mm-hmm. but I have a better understanding for who he is and the personality and yeah I mean stuff. HBO hard knocks like 24 7 there's a lot you, you of know, there's examples. a lot of those examples of like humanizing and dimensionalizing athletes that are have previously been inaccessible yeah well the Kind of to Scott's point with the Wiggly Dauntus thing, one easy way for the WSL to access or to fulfill what we're talking about is just post Fiji going into J Bay, interview the people who were involved with it. Wiggly, Connor, Kelly, break down the rules of priority, ask them how they felt emotionally about it, because Kelly obviously yeah, we had know emotion Kelly about it. said some stuff about it. But yeah. now now it won't ever be discussed again yeah, by to the me, production. That's team, wrong. You know? To I, me, that's like we need to go there. Yeah. We need a Jim Gray that's like, dude, what did you mean by that? Come on. And then prodding and, him. And now two weeks later, in retrospect, how do you feel about it? Well, yeah. no, that gives him – yeah, that's what we have uh, to no, do. I, that'll I, give him too much time to smooth it all out. Yeah. I, I'd agree there. Like, I just think it probably – it's not that it won't ever come up again. I just think they, they have sort of a surplus of stories that they want to talk about. And totally. And their preference now is still to track to, you know, event winners, world title winners. But I think for fans, especially core fans – you know, in any given event, there's 36 amazing stories. Yep. Like someone's on oh, that yeah. journey somewhere and something's going on in their life in and outside that jersey. And they've done something in the water that has an impact on that. I completely agree. There, Unless you had like infinite resource and at man hours and production. So WSL, like, right. <laughs> you guys have got all that. I took the chopper here, man. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, so I totally get that as well, for sure. So are we going to see these things? Because we feel like because we watch round after round after round, that you know, there's do, is there budget in the production staff over there to to make these things happen? Are these things being created, or yeah. are we just talking? And then, yeah, it's a great idea, but are we going to ever see it? Well, I think yeah, I, I will say yes, you will. And I think probably the timeline that we're on too is that the production of the live event has undergone a massive transformation in a couple of years. The editorial side of the WSL is now under Chris Morrow's stewardship. And he is starting to build out some really nice sort of storytelling vignettes. And I think once those two, they are related, but once those two start singing in harmony a little bit, we'll start injecting like human story, rivalry, um, sort of general world building and sort of surfing universe context in a lot of these events. And I think that for me is kind of where you're going to get a lot of traction with core and and initiated fans. I don't know if you have this in your notes, Scott, but um, 
what is the WSL video production team doing um, outside of the contest? Is there a Laird documentary like being is, created? Yeah. There is a WSL films. You can, is that a you Santa can Monica? talk about my face. Uh, there, is, there is a WSL films uh, group. That is investigating a number of content opportunities, but they're also working. Is Laird, on, one of them. I believe we're investigating Laird. That's the look on his face that says yes. They're doing this, and is it um, uh, Kennedy that's doing it? I don't have that the, information. That's a yes. <laughs> the the uh, but and then so in addition to the the WSL films, like they also work on the post television shows as well, oh, as okay. well as sort of web social vignettes. So, I mean that edit bay is like they're in. All, I, go, I come in really early to for my commute, and they're in before I am, and they're, wow. they're on the weekends. And I guess you can do it anytime. But yeah, I mean, it seems like there's an alternative revenue model there too to pursue. You know, yeah, because a lot of the stuff that you're building for the webcast, you know, it's just built into the webcast. But this other stuff, you can really market and sell elsewhere. Well, and I mean, for me too, like I love, I, I really love what Fox Sports Australia does with like their panel show in the studio, like just sort of discussing. Seen. It's like Sean Doherty and oh, a, f- yeah, a few yeah. of the crew, they do that, I think almost weekly. And I, I think the WSL is going to be replicating something like that up, cool. in, up in our studio as That'd well. That'd be amazing. Which is cool. And I think it engages a lot of different opinions too, which is important. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great concept. Which department at the WSL is referred to by you as the House of Lannister. Man. Is this the Game of Thrones question again? As of what? As of like Sunday? (laughs) So to rephrase, which department has an exiled little person? (laughs) Politically correct. Could be many departments. And an incestuous brother and sister. Oh my God. Finance? (laughs) <laughs> oh, there goes your bonus, Jack. It's a joke. Right. Uh, no, I, I don't know. That's a good question. I'll have to think on that. That's Look, funny. the Brazil Olympics coming up, it seems to be taking a lot of heat. Um, there's obviously this this horrible Zika thing that's going around. Of course, the infrastructure, the, the economy of Brazil. Things are sort of spiraling, I would suggest. I don't think that's a reach. Um, how invested is the WSL in Brazil as a an event location and an event stop, of course, relative to how many Brazilians are on tour. And if it is super important, which I'm assuming it is, are we thinking about moving it to a better location? Yeah. In, in Brazil, like yeah. or, you know, outside of the big city. Yeah, for sure. Um well I mean for context, you know, Brazil's been on tour since its inception in seventy six. There's always been an event there and I think, uh, you know, the current situation aside, like their government economy and sort of regional uh, development program has been so strong over the last 15 years for surfing that I think we've seen the development of like the rise of the Brazilian storm came out of that. So I think the investment from the country into surfing certainly yielded positive results, um, which we're now seeing um, across the board. Um, and it is an important market for the WSL. I think Portuguese is either our number one or number two language on social um, mm-hmm. and, and on the website as well. Like it's a, it's a huge audience for the WSL. Uh, that said, the commissioner's office, as with all events, they review every event, venue, quality, et cetera, each year. And there have been a lot of discussions leading up to the Rio event this year and leading out of the Rio event about potentially relocating it somewhere else in Brazil. Cool. 
And the, the funny thing is, is like having been to that site a lot of times too, with Postinho, and I, I used to go to the old event in Santa Catarina as well, um, is Postinho is actually like a super fun wave to surf. Mm. It just doesn't really, what I've heard is from people who compete, it's like it's super fun to surf, it's hard to compete in. Because it's basically like this sort of punchy closeout that you yeah. get one maneuver in maybe two if you're you know, Gabrielle or someone. Is that where they ran the final this year? Yes. Yeah. So, And that's where they've been the last couple of years. Okay. Um, and, and sort of due to the storm activity leading up to the event and the damage to the primary site at Postinho, right. the backup site of Groomerie, which is in sort of the municipal park there, was activated for round one. That was like her primary site right. while they rebuilt the, the structure uh, to make it safe at, right. at Postinho. So we kind of moved back and forth. Hmm. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious. And there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references. And now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. Free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. How is Brazil for you from a... from a um, Tourist? No, more like from... Yeah, I guess from a tourist, but also from, um, you know, as a worker of the WSL, as, a, as an employee of the WSL, is it... Is the event? What's the event like? Because it looks, it looks kind of scary. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's probably a better question to ask some of the newer employees because I've been going there for a long time and I feel pretty comfortable there. Um, from a communications like role perspective, it's certainly the busiest. Like that country, like surfing is national news pretty much every night, um, and it should be. Those guys are doing amazing things. But the real pivot for me was 2014 after Brazil lost in the World Cup, like decimated by, yeah. by Germany, I think it was. Um, and, I, you know, we, we track the media there pretty closely, and you could feel like the entire country kind of have its heart broken. And then they once they sort of pick their head up, they looked at the surfing uh, leaderboard and Gabrielle was in front and they go, Oh my God. And like, you could feel this huge shift, like, like, like just sort of the, the metrics that we use to measure. It just went crazy. 
And uh, it's been like that ever since. Well, what I was blown away by, somebody pointed it out maybe on one of the webcasts, was that Gabriel has 4 million Instagram followers. Kelly has 1.5 or yeah, something yeah, like that. It's like, what? Yeah, like, and it's, I'm sure the sort of the anecdotes have sort of like bubbled out of Brazil, but like, you know, even non-Brazilians like John, like they are like messianic down there. Like yeah. it's like beetle mania. Like they're, I mean... Last year specifically, it was 2015, so Gabe was the defending world champ, first Brazilian world champ ever. Right. And I saw sort of like people laying apostate on the ground in front of him as he's walking out for his heat. There's just big people crying and wailing as he's, as he's walking to the water, and it was like really emotional. It's amazing. And, um, and yeah, so from a comms perspective, it's, uh, it's a challenge, but it's a good challenge. Yeah. So much media attention. It's funny. I live in Huntington Beach, and um, when the U.S. Open Do comes... Do you apostate for Brexit? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but... If, if you were in Huntington, you'd be the guy, right? Two-time <laughs> totally. U.S. Open winner. Yeah, I got sure. some good waves this last week. Um, so what U.S. Open comes around, and it gets invaded with people from inland, you know, and hundreds... I don't know how many, but... Dozens, dozens of thousands of people on a daily basis. And when they paddle out to surf a heat and they have that uh, singlet on, people are doing that and crowding around them, getting photos. But when it's not their heat, Gabe Medina, Chloe Andino, everybody other than Kelly Slater, basically, Mm. can walk straight through the crowd just south of the contest venue and and surf in anonymity. Like nobody recognizes who Gabriel Medina is. And it's like... This is Surf City USA, but the reality is these aren't surfing fans who are on the beach. They're all people from inland who are just here to watch the show. You know? Yeah, and I think I think that event in particular, there's been a lot of non-surfing sort of attractions there in the True. past few years. And I think the goal um, in the last couple of years is to bring like more of a surf focus there. And it's even small things like putting... Uh, like broadcast billboards or banners and televisions on the back of the scaffolding. Like if right. you're from wherever, you know, Kansas, and you're visiting the U.S. Open because you heard it's cool, and you walk down to the beach, you've just got these huge scaffoldings there. You don't even know that anything's happening in the water. You know? Right, because um, there's a BMX ramp, and you see a guy doing a backflip. Yeah, and just, yeah. you know, you can't see through the scaffolding. So so putting those monitors on the back of the scaffolding and really encouraging people to go out and, like, see the surfing, like, that's why the event's there. And I think there's been a sort of a refocus on that in the last couple of years. Yeah, totally. Not sure about that, Dave, but... Um... My feeling on that is that, look, Vans makes tons of money selling shoes. They don't make as much selling board shorts, in my opinion. I could be wrong. And I think it's in their best interest to to um, get that youth lifestyle that it, that it is, the U.S. Open of Youth Lifestyles, what I like to call it, um, and give all of the interests equal um, time. And so when you've got a bunch of people from the Inland Empire coming to Huntington Beach for the U.S. Open of Surfing, I think it's in Van's best interest to to have tons of BMX and to have... And by the way, that stuff's exciting to watch. Probably more exciting to the layperson than going and watching guys ride waves. So I'm not sure. I think when Hurley took it over, there was a big push for surfing. But right now, my opinion is, is that... And I'm not saying they're taking anything away from the surf. I'm not doubting anything that you said. Mm. But I, I see it as it's, it's smart marketing for Vans and for Doug Palladini to um, entice... All of the eyeballs with as much youth lifestyle as they can, be it music, BMX, skating. Now, they're going to call it the US Open of Surfing, and they're going to put that label on it. But I think deep down, they might not even say it, but they're trying to get eyeballs on vans. And I mean, that's oh, an obvious Yeah, point. yeah. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with you. I think, I think it's sort of a, a symbiotic relationship, right? You've got the surfing 
the caliber of the surfing event sort of legitimizes the other events around there. And then having BMX and skate and music when it's there, it's like that really sort of complements the surfing nicely. And look, some people don't go there for the surfing. Yeah. You mentioned something um, about nationalism in Brazil, and, and I want to get into this first, this concept of, I want to take some, um, some examples from the PGA Tour and from, from the World Tennis, I think it's the WTA. Um, golf has the President's Cup, and more importantly, the Ryder Cup which is this nationalistic competition, which brings out lots of rah-rah, lots of flags, lots of Brazilian flags would be flying, lots of American flags, probably some Hawaiian flags, South African, Australian, much like the ISA has now. Is there any internal talk about creating some sort of nationalistic either prize or competition, maybe that you add up of the WCT surfers, you add up their points via nationality and you and at the awards banquet, you present the winning nation state with whatever. Mm-hmm. Is there any discussion about about excavating nationalism? There's, there's definitely discussions about it so f- insofar as the conversation around creating sort of um, either exhibition events at our events um, and what the format would look like. I think the, the challenge there is that Organically, there's a lot of sort of national, national rivals in the sport, whether it's Brazilian or Australian. The Americans aren't so much on that trip yet, but I'm sure they will be after their sort of reign of dominance is uh, well and truly ended. But um, I, I think that the challenge becomes like if you create sort of a sub event or a sub series of events, like where do you put the importance? Is it on the national cup or is it still on the world title? Um, and I think it's always going to be on the world title, but um i'm with you i think i think creating you know sort of a nation versus nation option even if it's looking into the current events and creating a tally there where you're who knows what the prize is maybe you're having funding for sort of development programs in that nation as a result um is going to be hugely important in a national pride thing we used to do similar things back with fosters and the fosters cup was sort of nation versus nation that was like an exhibition heat back yeah. Jeez, I'm dating myself in 2007, eight around then. So um, it has been done before. I think it could be done much better. Yeah, I would agree. This putting the term exhibition on it right there makes me cringe a little bit. This thing needs to be more important. Like when you think about the Ryder Cup, and again, I don't want to invent something that's not organic, that doesn't work, but the Ryder Cup, those guys are in it and it's very important. Like, and they're emoting when they're out there playing golf. They're into it. And so can we get the surfers to that place? I don't know. There's so much cross-border. You know, we're such like a global tribe, and I hate to use that cliche, but we kind of are, you know, because we travel amongst each other. Well, and then to have something substantive, you'd almost want it to be apart from the CT. I agree. And and when you do that, you start encroaching, I think, on the, the ISA's platform a little bit. And I think the WSL and the ISA are now trying to work together with the goal of getting surfing into the Olympics. So we want to be good partners to them on that. Maybe the Olympics is the answer to this equation. It might be. Yeah. Um, What about Dave and I have spoke at length. One of our talking points when we have nothing to talk about, we bring up stuff we've already spoken about. And one of them is I've, I've, um, I've been a big fan of the concept of major events much as golf has the Masters and the PGA, the U.S. Open, the British Open. And tennis has the same. And is it possible for the WSL, and have you guys discussed this, the idea of Tavaruf, of the Fiji event, the Chopu event, the J-Bay event, and Pipe being the four majors, 
And making them, categorizing them as such, they now get extra points, extra value to the surfer, extra dollar value, and become this, these more important events, if you will. Discussion at Santa Monica. I think discussion all over the world on that one has been discussed for a number of years. Um, you know, one of the challenges is, is, and I think something that the big wave tour is sort of working out is like, is it, are you setting these events as majors five years out? You know, is the Fiji pro in 2020 definitely a major or are you sitting there and assigning a scale of points based on the conditions that that event has on the year, which is what the big wave tour does, right? They go, okay, well, this is a, I forget what their categories are, like a gold-rated event or a silver-rated event or bronze-rated event because of the size of the swell. Yeah. And because of that, we're allocating different levels of points to the event. You know, we've had years, I remember the, the, the infamous like city tour year, I think it was 2011, where the, the AS, then ASP announced that we were going to do uh, Rio. We were moving from Santa Catarina to Rio. We were adding New York. And we were also, the search was going to San Francisco. And we copped a ton of heat um, for sort of abandoning the quote unquote dream tour. Um, but the funny thing was at the end of the year, like those three events, well, will definitely, um, New York and San Francisco actually had some of the better surf we had all year, you know, and it just happened to fall in one of those years where your would be majors didn't get very good waves. Right. Um, and that's just something we have to deal with, with the ocean as well. So has been discussed is certainly up for consideration, but you would definitely want to make sure that, you know, if, Fiji was a major. Fiji had like classic Fiji conditions. Yeah. Well, the QS kind of adopts that point system, a major's point system almost. You know, there are higher rated events than others. Yeah, it is tiered, but then they, they still run into a difficult challenge too. With I mean, some of the events aren't going to have, like some of the higher rated events just due to the nature of the ocean are going to have worse events, I'm yeah. sorry, worse waves than, than lower rated yeah. events. I mean, the answer is I, you keep those four events and those are your majors and you extend the waiting period. And if you get bad waves one year, you're going to, it's part of the deal, just as when there's rain at Wimbledon. Mm -hmm. It's part of what happens, but it's important, I think, to to sort of for first for marketing, right? To yeah. just know in advance that these are majors and why they are majors because of the drama that's unfolded in the past. We've got tons of great stories already. Yeah, you know, two tens first Slater at Chopu against Bruce Irons and whatever year that was. You know, mm, yeah, you yeah. know all the stories better than I do, Dave. So Maybe. we can we can create. <laughs> the marketing for why these are majors and, and you know what hey we roll the dice that's mother nature that's surfing all of us get that there might yeah. be an off year but more often than not we yeah. think we're going to get I have one of those you know those four events we're going to have some major drama unfold and even if Chopu's four feet it's but I mean, pretty damn good but pipeline is really the pinnacle like that is that's got to be got to be yeah, and I, th I think we're fortunate that that caps our year off. And I think yeah. we've been really fortunate that the title's been decided there the last couple of years as well. Sure. I think the only other criticism I'd have on the majors, which has been discussed a few times, is that the goal of the CT for both the men and the women is to have such a diverse array of venues that we're determining the best overall comprehensive surfer on the planet. Yeah. So, and, I, and look, I can, I can argue the other way too, where sure. it's like, look, these are premium venues. We want to see premium surfing. That's a great segue into this next topic, Dave, which is Josh Kerr won the top or won the, um, Todos, Todos Santos event, Damon Hobgood surfing in big wave events. Um, when is the WSL going to incorporate one big wave venue for the CT surfers so we can separate the men from the boys. It, as you know, it used to be this way. 
Kong would surf 12 foot West Peak Sunset Beach and win two years in a row or whatever it was. And so all surf fans love it. I bet your ratings for the big wave events, especially the last few, which have been spectacular, have gone through the roof. We want to see CT surfers, the quote unquote best surfers in the world. And I believe that they are. And Josh Kerr is a great example of that. We want to see these guys at one big wave event, no matter what, each and every year. Please make this happen. Go. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't argue that having a big open face wave on the CT would, would complement, again, that sort of diverse array of venues on right. tour. I'd also argue that a high performance left would be helpful as well. No, no, no. We've got high performance waves on tour, but we not need- lefts. We don't have like yeah, a yeah, macaronis have a or a like a rag- raglan. Like it's I, I, again, this is Goofy my personal, my, <laughs> my, my personal opinion, and not the opinion of the WSL. But I would love to see a high performance left on tour. You're not wrong, right? And this and I is th- like when the dinosaur broke out of the egg in Game of Thrones, and I just said, "I'm over this show," and I turned it off. Good. It was a dragon, but um, <laughs> the. <laughs> Anyway, um, <laughs> but no, Maybe I mean, I don't the, the, the fun, the funny yeah. thing, the funny thing about the Sunset Beach one is I, like I was a fan when that was on tour and that was yeah. a really cool thing. And, and it's still on tour as a major QS, the end of the QS season. So it's exciting too. But, um, yeah, I mean, I mean Mavericks, all I mean, those Jaws. venues, I mean, a big wave of that, you know what, where you have to have a nine, six or you're just stupid. And I know, I know the fan response is like, well, you just figure out how to make it work. But the challenge is like, is basically everything that happens around those CT and all the mechanisms that have to come together to make it, it happen. It takes a full year, even though there's four, four weeks in between. Well, right? I mean, it takes, we're, we've got 10 day, 12 day windows. You could be dead of winter at Mavericks and that event doesn't happen. Um, you know, sunset, you're a little bit safer. I mean, we generally have pretty good waves. Some years you don't, but yeah, I mean, that's the challenge of saying we need one of the big wave tour events to be uh, contested by the, the CT. Additionally, you're looking at, maybe a day, maybe two days right. in swell window. And the current CT format takes three and a half days. So you'd have to tweak that as well. So not impossible, but a lot would have to change. Yeah. Six man heats. You'd have to be really um, flexible. Yeah. It would almost be surgical strike. Like I could see like you're in Hawaii, the whole tours in Hawaii. If it happens and we get Waimea or we get Jaws, can we pull a license, pull a permit, boom, bang yeah. it out. You know, can we, are we that flexible? Are we that pliable? It's super impressive that the big wave tour is able to get their one in, in, you know, cases like Porto two day permits over such a large window mm-hmm. of, you know, three to four months sometimes where they're like, we don't know when we're coming, but we're coming. I think that would be a huge challenge for anyone and, and they've done a really good job of it. But, um, yeah, I think point taken. How insane would it be yeah. to see Kanoe Garashi paddle out of <laughs> 30-foot jaws. Or, or Not that I want to see him get... No, I just... I like... I think they're... I think most fans want to see a separation of who can really man up at that point. Like card, cards on the table, like, because I have a lot of opinions and we, we talk a lot of trash, you know, at the office and this on the road. This is what we want to hear. Yep, here it is. We're finally getting Dave to wear here's the, the Here's the dirt. Yes. Um, like, I, I called Kanoa for having a pretty hard year on tour. Like, I, I've seen him surf. He's got great technique. Um, I think probably the last time I saw him surf, he hadn't grown up. And I would say the turning point for him, and I hand to, hand to God, I've been dead wrong on him this year. He's proven me wrong event over event over event. But I do think the turning point for him was I, I wasn't overly impressed in round one snapper rocks. Round two, he had like a real grindy heat against Keanu Ossing that just tipped his way. 
And then from then on, like he's looked like a different surfer. And I think that's what's really cool about the tour is like yeah. sometimes you've got guys where you're like, you know, Kai Otten's another one. Like no one even thought he would qualify like in you know the general surfing community and then do well. But he's one of those guys that was never sort of an amateur superstar or a QS superstar and got on tour and he's been he's won an event. He won it with like a 14 point total though, and throughout all of his heats, kind of did the same. Like you, I can't remember a wave that he caught in that event. Let's be honest, you know? Kai Otten's the assistant commissioner in, in waiting. Right? Like, he's just got to retire burn, just, and slide under Kieran. You just burn Kieran right now. Dude. No, 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 I mean, well, so that's my that's my difference though between Kanoa and Kai. Just to tease apart, yeah, preferences is like. Kai I called, could I win called, Jaws. I no, don't know if Kanoa no, no. right now could. Maybe he could. No, but, but I called. Is, there's guys that are small. And, there's guys that are that Jaws would really, you know, we'd separate the cream from the. Agreed. Agreed on that point completely. But at the beginning of the year with Kanoa, I agree with you. Like he has a lot of work to do, but his one asset is he's a great competitor. Yeah, and he's been doing it for a really long time, even though it's not on this level. So I think he'll. What we've seen is he's been able to translate that. You know, well, into the CT plane. And I think what's cool in surfing is you see people evolve. And I think that's what we've seen a lot. And I, I, I'll go back to the Brazilians. I think that is a recent phenomenon in the rookies. Is like, I think in the past, yeah. you qualify and you're like, I'm there. I'm good right. enough. I'm going to party and enjoy my career. And you see a lot of these previously celebrated rookies come on tour and get their heads kicked in. Yep. It's a totally different level. And I think what the rookie class this year has done is is they've seen all that. They've grown up with that. And they've gone, I remember sort of an anecdote from Luke Egan, who's a Meriwether board riders guy. And he was talking to Ryan Callanan um, after he qualified in Hawaii. And he said, um, you know, enjoy it. And then you got to go to work tomorrow because mm-hmm. it's a totally different thing. Like you got to work on your boards and your fitness and your approach. And like, there are no easy heats mm-hmm. on tour. And I think that's like Kanoa's sort of a student of that. I think the Brazilians really brought that. Like, like Adriano, he qualified on the strength of his air versus. Like Crazy. he came on, he was like, I, I, you know, he's better than you know your average Joe, but he's like, I'm not a world class tube rider, and I'm not a world class rail guy, right? And he, you know, he he spends like an extra month at Bell's and works with Adam Robertson to figure out how to surf on rail and, and stays and with Jamie at stays, Pike. Yeah, he yeah. he is. It, it's it's a humility right. that we're seeing. Well, that's why we love him. Tour. We hate the way he surfs, but we're his biggest fans. We don't be, hate we, no, but we've that become sounds like his, it. We have in the way that his fans yeah. because he's our blue collar. He brings his lunch pail, and that guy gets down dirty. It, it, yeah. His place in history could have so easily been the guy that got Gabriella's title, like made it okay for Gabriella right. to win a world title, and that would have been impressive enough. But I, like my, right, the biggest admiration I have for right. him is like he went no, like um, that's not good enough for me. I'm going to come back and right. win my title. Yeah, mm-hmm. and even after he's won it expresses a lot of humility it's oh. all he's always passing off the credit to who yeah, got did he say it is like uh, at, the, at the awards he said you yeah. know john john's the best surfer yeah. in the world <laughs> like, exactly dave named his which, dog adriano <laughs> <laughs> which by the way i don't get out of gabriel gabriel in his post heat stuff and all the things we see about him doesn't have that humility so the other he's got a lot of bravado like gabe but he, i don't think they like adriano either though you know what i, I mean know. like I mean, look, I, I... Who's the most hated surfer on tour? Let's cut to the chase. <laughs> Probably any WSL employee that's in the water yeah. when the guys are in the water, or girls. Um, no, look, I, I think... You're not look, answering that, the question. Who's the most Well, hated. I mean... Not hated, but look, is it they're, just they're, us, or does Gabe put on... Like, it seems that Gabe's got a bit of, like, um, holier-than-thou. 
Yeah, and I think that's part of his approach. Like, I don't, I don't know if it's a holier than thou, but it's certainly a confidence, you know? And I think that's kind of one of the interesting things to observe over the last few years is that you know, people with Western sensibilities who have traditionally been the surfing audience and right. the industry and, and those who have succeeded on tour, you have a certain way of looking at things. Like, we're, I'm from California, like Curran was the epitome of a champion. Right? Still is, thank you. Right? Like, <laughs> like so so understated, quiet, right. like went about his business, yeah. let his surfing do the talking. And Gabe's purely Brazilian. And well, most, but but this it, is the thing, like, like his like, tattoos, tattoos, bravado, claiming is, is, is as much a part of South culture. American culture, yeah. like in general, yeah. as, you know, Tom maybe hearkening to like sort of a morning of the earth vibe right. is, is for Californians. Yeah, right. For sure. So, yeah, for sure. and it's an interesting thing to see like the surfing world have to adopt to that just out of their sheer dominance over the last yeah. few years. Yeah, but they, but look, we're not adopting. No, no, no. I'm and, not. And, I don't know about this guy. And but. you don't have to. But <laughs> but I think like um, to to your question, Gabrielle um, is definitely sort of a man that keeps his own counsel on tour. Like there's there's certainly groups that run. He certainly gets along with other guys, his rip curl teammates, the other Brazilians on tour. But you know, he stayed on Nomotu during the the Fiji event, which is basically all Australians. Um, excuse me, and Adriano and Gabrielle and. And you know, by all accounts, like he was, he was not partaking in sort of the the haircutting, right? Um, the skull drags or whatever they are. The any one evening event. at so. Mandy's right. bar, yeah. And so you have to, you got to recognize his goal is to win world titles. It's not to make friends. And I think a lot of like people have that criticism about Kelly Slater. He, for a he long maybe time, gave yeah. my favorite award speech of all time. And I don't know. I think we did webcast it. You probably you might not have seen it. And he, when he won his world title, he gets up for the wins his awards and. His English is pretty good, but like he's a young guy, he's still working on it. And um, he got up there and he told a story about like one of the first QS events he won. And he said, you know, I was young, like when I was 16 or however old, and he goes, and I won the event. And then I was at a party and, you know, I went home with this girl and everyone's like, oh, all right, you know, good for you. And then he said, uh, I said, I woke up in the morning and um, I said, um, you are beautiful, you know, because I didn't know what to say because I was a kid, you know. And she goes, no, you are very beautiful. And he goes, I got home and I was like really excited. And uh, my dad, Charlie, was there and I, I told him what had happened. And he looked at me and he goes, you are very beautiful. And the more you win, the more beautiful you will become. And I thought it was just such a funny, like self-aware, but, but that's, that's him, you know, like, like, and that's the thing. And again, I'm sort of, we're going to diverge no, here. For no, no. But that's like that, want. that is like my observation coming from California is that a lot of the guys that grew up here had it relatively easy, you know, like, Completely. and when, when, when everything access to boards, diet, training, technique, videos is level like the point of difference in competition becomes drive and motivation and if you're talking to a kid that every time he wins a heat his family's going to eat versus another kid who who had a house at 16 yeah like on on a cliff on a beach yeah, yeah. like and and i think that fed into that whole like i don't want to lose when i'm trying mentality for yeah. a long time uh, well, what is I Gabriel love from that background, socioeconomic. I know Adriano is right, but is the, Gabriel the, like? Is this like I'm going to eat or not? Yeah, no, was, I've heard. I've heard it was pretty rough. Okay, yeah. Um, what I love about that Gabriel story, I hadn't heard that previously, but um, 
as he explained to his dad, she said, I'm beautiful. I thought his dad's response would be, screw that. You need to focus on <laughs> winning. You need, but you know, like put that aside. Let's focus on the title. But instead, the response is, you want to be extra beautiful? Let's continue to pursue this. This will give you more beauty than anything. So the goal is still pursuing yeah. that admiration like, and yeah. adoration. Yeah. Yeah. Hi- hyper, <laughs> hyper honesty. Incestuous. Amazing. Um, good stuff, Dave. Let's talk about this. Surfer Shaper Maurice Cole recently at the boardroom, one of the seminars brought up the idea that the that the WSL consider mandating environmentally friendly, sustainable surfboards um, and that it will go a long ways towards your average Joe, certainly my 15-year-old, 16-year-old kids, your kids, buying and then buying into the concept of a sustainable, environmentally friendly surfboard. And, of course, Maurice, um, he used the Formula One circuit, the Formula One racing circuit, as an example, who did this. In fact, they mandated that they go from V8s to V6s and some other things in the engine that would be. um, And and incredible breakthroughs happened on the Formula One racing circuit because of this. Um, I know um, one of the guys, one of the execs up there emailed me and said they're thinking about doing it. How far along are we? Is this one of the, like, where is this on the level of importance? Or are we, you know, where are we at with this? Well, yeah, I mean, like, there's no denying that like, the WSL's vast global audience is, is very influenced by the guys and girls on tour. So them taking a stand on something could have hugely positive repercussions for, for you know, benefiting the environment. Um, and I think surfing in general probably has a more intimate relationship with the environment than arguably any other sport in the world. Um, so it's certainly been discussed. Um, I, I think we've already announced that we're, we're funding sort of ocean research, ocean health research with Columbia University. Through Pure. Through Pure. And I think the the steps in Pure are, are sort of threefold. It's, it's research in understanding you know, what is happening and what can be done. And then education and advocacy, which is, is acting yeah. on it. And I think like my preference, like you know, personally, and I'm happy to say professionally, although this probably wouldn't be the line of the WSL yet, if it is, or I wouldn't know, is that go off the reservation. Yeah, we're, we're already. I'm here. I'm off the reservation. <laughs> you are. The um, is that uh, like I think it's okay to say I, like we don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't it, with something like this where it's like, yeah, our goal is to improve the health of the ocean. Like, stage one is to understand objectively what that is, right? Because and and certainly, um, like moving into uh, analyzing the industry's impact on it is important, right? Because well, let's be honest, going to environmentally sensitive surfboards is more a cultural. It's more of a. It's not going to make a big difference. Well, but what it does do is it says, "Hey, we're doing our part." Because frankly, if you wanted to be kind to the environment, you would just cancel the tour. That's not going to happen. It doesn't make sense. But since we are doing the tour and we have this platform, let's use this platform by saying, hey, you know what? It's not that hard. These guys can rip just as hard on an environmentally sensitive surfboard, sustainable surfboard, whatever you want to call it. Mm. Why not just go there? Like, I don't think we have to do studies because I can tell you right now, just flying to me going to Mexico next week is worth about a lifetime's worth of surfboards. Just one way ticket on a flight to Puerto Escondido or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I don't, you know. And I don't mean to interrupt, but no, take no, that for what it's worth. No, no, no. I, I think it's fine. I think my personal perspective on it is, 
like what is a environmentally friendly surfboard and right. do they even exist because what i don't want to get to is a place where it's like yep we're here to improve the improve ocean health and what we've done is mandated that the ct surfers use a certain uh a board made with certain materials and we're not 100 percent sure if the if that's helping a lot especially if you're getting 150 boards a year right like killing the planet slower is not what you want to do yeah um and 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 I, so I think that's kind of where the research component comes in. It's like, let's really understand this. So when we do come out to do something, which look, it might be across events, making them sustainable or carbon neutral or investing in the, the ecology of that region because we're there. Um, it may come through product where we're encouraging the industry to support sustainable board shorts and wetsuits and more sustainable um, surfboards and that having a huge trickle down effect or sort of an expansion effect mm-hmm. to the public as well. But yes, it's to <laughs> to come back to the question. Certainly been discussed, and um, you know it's in the research phase right now. Yeah, is it true that Paul Speaker is going to be voting for Donald Trump? <laughs> I don't think so. I, I, but I wouldn't know. I mean, we don't talk politics. Where did too you much. hear? Where did you hear that? I, have, I heard there was a Trump sticker in the parking lot at the Santa Monica. <laughs> There's definitely no and Trump it was sticker. An Audi. <laughs> There's definitely no Trump sticker that I've seen, and Paul Speaker doesn't drive an Audi. Or uh, or in any Santa Monica maybe parking lot for that a, matter. It was a nice sports car. I'm not sure if it was an Audi. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Warshaw has sent in a question for you, Dave. Oh, I like Matt. At least, oh, so he says, since adjusted ratings are what count, the worst two results dropped for the men's, it would be nice if the WSL online rankings reflected that, or at least add a second column showing adjusted ratings. Easy fix. Dave, we're making progress here. That's from Matt Warshaw. Thanks, Matt. Um, I, I think maybe what Matt wants to see is like, so the adjusted ratings this year, there's 11 men's events. So at the end of the year, a competitor on the CT is counting nine of 11 events. What Matt probably wants to see is the ratings reflected at event six, right? Where your best four results are counting. Yeah, yeah. ongoing adjusted. Ongoing rating. adjusted, which which I can understand. I think it gets a little confusing um, as well um, because at some point you're going to get to like, oh, well, you know, the guy doesn't have any bad results. Like, why would you start dropping him? It doesn't impact the second Because time. just like in, what was it, 01 when... 9-11 happened, all of a sudden we went, boom, tour's over, who's our champion? And it was CJ. And more people have bad results than don't. Yeah, know, like- no, I, I, look, I think it's fair to have. I think, But I think, he, say, say if he did it, I think people would be like, well, I kind of understand why you're dropping these events. They might count But they're going to say the that at the end of the year anyway. Well, like- but I think if it's ongoing, right? So say you're going, oh, I did bad in, in I wouldn't do bad in Fiji. Say I did bad in Margaret River. Um, I would do, I would do bad everywhere. Um, say I did bad in Margaret river or I got like a 13th or a ninth. It was a ninth. That's a better example. I got a ninth, right. And six events in, it's looking like I'm dropping it on my rankings. Right. And then I get a two thirteenths. And so then I'm counting the ninth and then people are like, well, I thought you dropped that. Like, so it's more to Matt's point. It is a complex system to wrap your head around if you're not a core fan. Right. Um, and I think the more you can do to educate is, is good. For sure. But it'd, it'd probably have to be reflected visually almost on two ratings, right? Yeah. Can I ask what the WSL's objective is with the Kelly Slater Wave company uh, acquisition? Sure. Well, well, so the WSL Holdings, which is uh, the WSL's parent company, uh, announced to acquire in principle. Um, right. I don't remember the date. It's probably a month ago, around. Probably. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, the initial 
excitement is obviously around the fact that Kelly's developed. Um, and the immediate goal is to analyze and evolve the technology with the goal of creating sort of high performance centers, development centers, um, and then getting the technology to a place where potentially we're we're running events, exhibition, or that otherwise. is the end goal. Does well, Kelly's- I think it, it, it's contingent on the evolution of the technology, right? Got it. And and it, fortunately for us, everything is vetted by the surfers through the commissioner's office. Sure. So it's not really a like this is important. You guys have to compete here thing. It is, if it's worthy, it will be ran at whatever level it's worthy. The idea is get in early while we can, and let's really exploit the potential here or just explore the potential here. Rather. I think explore is appropriate for sure. Yeah. With the end goal of ideally being able to. Yeah. Potentially. But if, if, if the execution is, is at introducing people to surfing and helping them develop into better surfers. Excellent. Okay. Does Kelly have a some sort of um, ownership stake in the WSL? No. What does it mean to buy it in principle? To buy the wave pool in principle? What does that mean? Well, the, the in principle part means that we... How much should they pay? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Some things are nice not to know, so I don't have to answer the question. But the, um, like the in principle thing means that like uh, basically the Kelly Slater Wave Company says we like the WSL wanting to buy us and WSL says we want to buy you let's do our due diligence on both sides and then come to an agreement um and as far as i'm aware everything's moving along really well do you think at some point we'll know the valuation on the pricing here will we know how much the WSL paid the KS Wave company obviously it's two private entities they don't have to disclose this um, i i don't know i don't think so Okay, read his face right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's an easy one because I don't know. I'm uh, seeing like upwards of a hundred million. No, I'm just kidding. I, don't, well, I heard you said five hundred million the other day. Well, we're just blowing out our butts. We don't know what we're, we're clueless. <laughs> you know, but, but it's just fascinating. You know the potential for that thing. So sure, my how, business how, how, do you, how do you value it? Like, yeah, right? like, like, it's an interesting thing. What? And yeah. So that's you know I just think it's business wise it's fascinating. Anyway. Only to me, perhaps. No, I, I agree. As soon as as soon as you find out, let me know. <laughs> Five hundred million. <laughs> um, what else, Dave? I got a couple questions. If you want to take your WSL hat off for a second, I uh, had it on. Let's who's roll. your favorite surfer right now? Like ever, or or uh, let's on, say on tour? Not necessarily or? even on tour. Just right now, surfing as a professional currently. Wow. Aki. <laughs> I, love, Dave, I love Dave Aki. Aki. I love Aki. And it's it's well documented that <laughs> I'm a big Dane Reynolds fan as well. Um, I'm a big Bobby fan. I was just going to ask you, um, what are, what if, wouldn't it be neat? Wouldn't it be a good storyline for the WSL to give da- uh, Bobby Martinez a wild card? Ever going to happen? Never. I, I have suggested as much. But... Um, yeah, I mean, ultimately, it boils down to the commissioner's office allocates wild cards and replacement spots. So, so Bobby has to lobby Kieran. I don't know about lobbying, but it's more just well, how like, would they know? Well, and it's it's two parts, right? Like, it's like does, does he have to apologize? Does, uh, that might help, right? It might help. I mean, playing I nice helps. Yeah, I don't think. I think it's more just like expressing interest and also showcasing that you're still. Oh, I think he's worthy. I, I personally do, um, yeah. but I've seen him surf a lot more than. The world has just because I live up by him, you know. Right. Um, so, and I think it's like, and look, the world's changed a lot since he he left the tour. Like, yeah. it's not as easy. It's well, never easy, but it's it's certainly a lot more difficult. On tour, though, 
favorite surfers oh man it's hard whoever answers my emails usually like they're my favorite for the day <laughs> um man it's oh no i'll tell Dude. you i i own one wsl jersey i'll let you guess and then i'll tell you stephanie mm-hmm. gilmore nat young it, it's low ferrera Elo, yeah, he's goofy footer. I really like him, yeah. and I think he is the smartest guy on tour because his English is really solid. Yeah. yeah, but he pretends like he can't speak it, so all of his post heat interviews are like three seconds long. Stokid, Muito Stokid, and then he goes off and like enjoys his day. Well, and wow. his English, his English improved in a very short period of time. Oh man, like, that, I remember that when whole, he wasn't speaking English. that whole program that. Um, that that Pinga, um, sort of the scout from from uh, Brazil, has had is fascinating. What he, he explain puts him through, like a PR camp? No, no. It, like he's been like a scout for a long time. Like out of out of I think he's out of Sao Paulo. Maybe what's his name? And his name's Luis. His nickname's Pinga. He's been on on tour a long time. You would have seen him on the webcast and stuff. Okay. He he's the one that discovered Adriano um and just idolo and all these guys like just all these guys and he grooms them yeah he grooms them like from like he travels around all the amateur events in brazil like spots talent and he has a relationship with oakley and i might i might be getting this wrong it might not be sao paulo but just for discussion's sake we'll say this and then he has like basically like a scholarship program through oakley where like they get a sponsorship they go to sao paulo he puts them in school like if they're not in school he gives them access to shapers training equipment he kind of grooms these guys and then sort of negotiates for their on their behalf with their sponsors to get them on tour and like he is like his strike rate is very high wow although i i did ask him about gabrielle because i'm like how'd you miss yeah what's gabrielle up? and he was like well he's like, like to hey, be we miss fernando valenzuela too, he, you know? he, yeah. he goes to be honest like italo and jesse mendez um used to like beat Gabrielle badly like when they were little kids right. and he said he was always good yeah. but he's like there's a lot of really good kids yeah. in Brazil and he goes the story with Gabrielle is he was a Volcom surfer when he was a little kid and then he post GFC global financial crisis he lost his sponsorship and it was very much one of these like everyone just went well that's too bad you know and then they negotiated with Rip Curl to get him on and then there happened to be like a rip curl QS event that he got into the trials or he got like some little wild card to get in. He won the event at like 15 and then the ASP South America gave him a wild card into the next six star. And he won that. Like he went from unsponsored right. off the radar to winning back to back six stars. And then from them, it's like King of the Groms, perfect 20 in the file. Oh, Kyle, Kyle's the other guy that used to beat him all the time. And he's like, he just went from here to here, like so fast. That's a story that needs to be executed by the production team and put it up on the next web. I totally agree. It's amazing. Yeah. We need to get these guys going. What's what? Moro doing? Or he's at Malibu right now surfing or his bike. He's mountain biking. Nah, Moro, Moro's great. He's got a wealth of knowledge. And, uh, I love Moro. He's, he's I think he's going to be bringing on like a lot of talent, I think, for storytelling purposes, sure. both video and, and text. What do you feel is the WSL's greatest shortcoming or um, something that maybe you guys have really wanted to execute that you haven't fully been able to? Is there? Well, we've kind of talked about a little bit for me personally. It's just creating the emotional connection between the athletes and, and the fans and, and telling those stories, you know, and um, I think if you look at a lot of really impressive entertainment properties today, whether it's Marvel or, star wars or game of thrones there's there's world building that goes on right you know martin i think i heard something that he's published like thirty thousand pages um, of game of thrones but he's written like another hundred and fifty thousand in just in histories on timeline and it's like 
the surfing can do that to a degree. Like we've got 40 years of history. Like it doesn't have to be all results and champs. Like there's important things that happen, you know, the thruster and, you know, um, just, just important things that happen from an equipment standpoint, a storytelling standpoint. And I think once we're able to do that and, and showcase it visually on whatever platform you want, right. it provides so much context for pretty much every wave that's written. Exactly. Right. Like Gabrielle and Adriano, Adriano winning their titles were historic. But once you put that against the framework of like the surfing universe, it is amazing. And, totally. it, and it's, a, it's something that people can kind of track into on a um, so, sort of a more like metaphysical is not the right word, but, but, but non-surfing level, like a storytelling level where it's like, I don't surf, but I love that guy's story. Yep. You know, and I think that's where the WSL is headed, which, which helps every department. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. What about the concept of a Billie Jean King, Bobby Riggs type thing where we get Carissa Moore surfing in an exhibition heat against, um, I don't know, Kai Otten. That would be a good one. We're really yeah. ragging on Kai today, dude. No, I'm just... I, <laughs> uh, oh, what about Carissa versus... Yeah, whoever. Yeah. The other world champ, Adriana. That would be good. That would be actually really good. It's been done in the past, like at different <laughs> levels of events. Remember Lane Lisa, competing? Lisa surfed against guys and beat them, right? Well, Lisa Carissa has too. Like Chris is surfing QS, QS events yeah. and like 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 toasted Suns- guys. Yeah, Sunset or Holly Eva a couple. Yeah, years and ago. then yeah. she was down in like uh, we used to have the event in in uh, Rosarita, I think the QS okay. down there. He, she was down there a few times and at Trestles, I think she got like Nike gave her a wild card. Oh, okay. Back in the day, she's pretty young, but yeah. but she took down. Yeah, some I, I remember. Dudes. I don't know. I don't think she did actually in the Nike event because I remember like the uh, the guy. Yeah, there was a lot of pressure on the, the one well, guy. The, the, the four guys that were yeah, in it. Like the, the guy that got thirds. Like I just didn't want to get fourth. Like, <laughs> <laughs> who was that guy? Was, I'm trying to remember who it was, but it was really funny when they came in. That's but classic. I mean, look, depending on the venue, like like some of the like like Steph or Carissa or Tyler. I like, think at Honolulu would be cool when they're Honolulu there. Would be Let's, cool because that would be of them a good face to work with. You know, like. I think it's fair if it's a good. It's got to be a good, clean wave for her. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a number. She would of kill it. That one turn she did last year, Honolulu, was mind blowing. That one roundhouse top car thing. It, it is pretty amazing. Like, um, like, I, I, like, like, as a fan, you look at someone like Carissa, and excuse me, she's just so when she's on, she's just so physically dominant. Like compared to the rest of the tour, like you kind of look at it and go, I think the only time she loses is when she kind of like loses to herself, like essentially, totally right, and. We were talking about this the other day where it's like there are sort of the thoroughbreds on the on the women's tour right now. It's like Carissa, Courtney, Tyler, um, Steph, you know, a couple others, right, where you expect them to be in the quarterfinals mostly. Um, all the girls on tour are really good. but And the guys tour had that for a while too where it was like your Burrows and your Hobgoods and um, – your Burrow, excuse me, and your Hobgoods and your Slater and Irons and stuff. Um, but now on the men's tour, it's like just this like – roulette every heat you're like like literally anyone can beat anyone and that's pretty cool it's pretty exciting yeah it is who's going to be the rookie of the year this year um who's doing the best kyle 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 well, connor Kyle's super strong connor is super strong oh, yeah, connor yeah. yeah he he screwed my fantasy team at fiji though so he's really <laughs> he's, uh, he's in all of our dog houses don't worry uh, no he's going back on for jay bay He's good. Oh, sure. he, do you guys play the WSL one or the fantasy I'm surf both. one? Okay. Because I think he's in the B group for the WSL one. And I'm like, there's a lot of good guys in B group. Yeah. You, you just got expensive, dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it is funny. Like, I, I, I don't know if you guys agree, but I think 
and I suggested this, I feel like I've suggested this all year or all for like two years to the fantasy team is like the A group, you, whatever the breakdown is, it's like there's six guys you can pick in the A group, six guys you can pick in the C group and the 24 you can pick in the B group, whatever the cut down is. And I said, well, you should be able to pick A, B or C for your A group and then B or C for your B group and then just C for your C group. Because sometimes you might not want an A guy, you know, you might want to mix it up. And I think that yeah. would create more permutations and teams and stuff. Yeah, but um, that's how the other fantasy game works. You can pick whoever. <laughs> that's the one that. The I bu- play. But, but then the budget's allocated specifically, right? Like, well, it changes, right? Yeah, it does. But then, like, you can't. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you would. You wouldn't be able. You don't have to. I, if I remember correctly, it might have changed. You don't have to spend fifty million or whatever the cap is. No, you can spend yeah. thirty. For the record, both games are great. It's a good way to be involved oh. in the sport on a whole nother level. Right? Yeah, I, I think. I think the more games, the merrier. How do the executives at the WSO feel about the production quality from um, the top down? Let's just start with the guys in the booth. Where where are we at with the guys in the booth? Are we happy with the, when we look at the full picture of all of the guys, the color commentary guys, the setup guys, you know, um, the on the beach reporters, the guys in the water? Can you... Can you be objective here, Dave? Because I know you work with these people, and, and it's and they're all great people, and they all do. By the way, it's a super difficult job—the job that they have to try to entertain us for you know umpteen hours over four days. It's it's very difficult. Sure. I, I totally get that, and uh, I don't envy the position that they're in. But it does seem that there could be improvement, perhaps. Um, and in what ways? I'm not sure, but there's always room for improvement. Yeah, totally. And I think a lot of it boils down to like like personal research and doing your homework um, and, and having the confidence to comment on, you know, backstory or, or what we were talking about before, which is provide context. Like, why is that important? And I think the chance, I think they do, you know, an incredible job as well. It is not easy. It's incredibly taxing. Um, but I think some of the challenge, too, is a lot of them came from from various models of broadcasting, right? A lot of them came from broadcasting pre-acquisition as well. And some of the things they learned there, it's a different world today, right? Where it's like, no, those aren't rules anymore. You don't have to do that or you shouldn't do that or you should do this. Um, and I think, you know, I think they are improving. I think do they go undergo they, coaching at yeah, all? Yeah, they go, they go through training, you know, every year. And I think... Probably most of the training they get is on the job as well because yeah. they're working with producers that are in their ear all day. Right. And these producers come from inside and outside the surfing world. So, you know, the producer team is like, I'm really impressed by Super solid. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to, I'd like to learn who those guys are. That's interesting. Where do they come from? TV? Yeah. A lot of, like a couple of them came from like the surfing background that we're doing sort of the webcast before. And then a lot of them come from like documentary Style filmmaking, Fox Sports, ESPN, Time Inc., like a lot, right. just across the board yeah. kind of expertise. Oh, interesting. Well, we were just discussing um, the production quality. Uh, who, are, who are your favorite commentators? We like um, Blakey. Ronnie Blakey, Ross Williams, yeah. Todd Klein, who I haven't seen this year mm-hmm. at all. Todd's um, good. I liked Todd a lot. Well, let's just start. Rosie, Rosie Hodge. Is, well, let's just start with, like, really there's three, right? There's the setup guy, the color commentator, and then there's the on-the-beach guy, and now we have this water guy, right? Wouldn't you say that's kind of the yeah, general? So Yeah, the, the breakdown would be there's the, the desk guys who they cross to for sort of, like, like, deeper analysis. There's the play-by-play guys who are sort of calling the heats. 
There's the sideline reporter who's getting not only the heat, the, the heat competitors after their heat, but also other stories that are happening. And sometimes you have sort of a roving reporter that could be in the water. Well, right play now, by so. play, it's I believe that it's Ronnie Blakey and Ross Williams are the two. That's your A team. Mm-hmm. And then um, Pete Mel does a super good job yeah, on the side. Pete. And Rosie does a good you know throw post to her heat. for post heat interviews. Although I think that I think you want you cannot get rid of Rosie. She's awesome. But you need to supplement that with a Jim Gray type mm. that's going to grab the loser. Mm. I'm sick of seeing the winners. We need to see the losers because that's where the emotion you is. You guys, and they've right. started incorporating that. Yeah. I mean, and I, we need some some pinning questions on these guys. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? You know, like, I don't know what the questions are, but you know what you I'm lose, saying. You lose in round two every time. What's yeah, what the hell? Yeah, I know what you're saying. And I think those, those moments are, are too few, right? Where it's like if it's a consistent thing... And you know that, like, oh, like if you're a fan, and you go, "Well, that guy messed up. I can't wait to see what he says." Mm-hmm. And you know it's coming. That's great. Bobby Martinez, where are you? Yeah, <laughs> that type of stuff. Yeah, for, could no, be for, the most for sure. And and I even liked. Um, I thought Chelsea Cannell, who came yeah. out last year, was really good as well. What happened to her? Uh, she had a baby. Ah, yeah. So she's still working with us in the studio as well. Um, and uh, I think she'll go back out on the road at some point. Good. I liked her a lot, too. Yeah. She added, like, what I really liked about Chelsea is she came from, I think pretty much the entire team came from surfing. Chelsea came from sort of entertainment and, and doing that, but sort of in other disciplines. And I think when she was there, she just sort of raised everyone's level. Like, yeah, do your homework. Like, like you know, this is serious. So there's I, people that don't do their homework. Uh, I think it, it probably varies. Like, and I think look, look I think it's look, obvious. It's it's easy when it's easy not to when you've been a surfer your entire exactly. life. Like, yeah. and you think you can know mail it. it in. Well, I don't know about mailing it in, but you feel confident in your opinions. And I think it's like some people don't do well. And I'm not just talking about the commentaries; just in life. Like some people don't do well when you give them a script or they over prepare. Sure, like they're better off the cuff, right? Um, and I think it's just finding that balance, and sometimes it works for some people. Sometimes, it doesn't. yeah, the best people are really knowledgeable about it because they've been doing it for a long time, but also make sure that they have the stats correct. Well, yeah, and I think it's like it's a it's a changing world. Like every every year, the cast of characters changes, right? Right, and they've got different backstories, and there's different relationships, and you got to keep up on it. I think if if I were to offer a criticism, it is that. Every one of the commentators has like personal relationships with with guys totally on agree. tour and with the industry as well, and totally it's like agree. you can have those. That's actually could be a, that's a benefit, right? In a lot of ways, but you do need to divorce yourselves yeah. from yeah. those when you're being a, jur- being a journalist. That is hard to do. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, regarding Chelsea Canal, my favorite experiences in surfing or the best films that I've seen, the best articles that I've seen written generally come from people who aren't in surfing. You know, it's when you transplant somebody like Chelsea mm-hmm. into it, who is a professional, who analyzes it objectively. Um, well, they they understand story. Yeah. Right? And they're yeah. like, that's like, this is what I'd want to know. Totally. Right? And wow. so I think like that perspective is always really f- refreshing to me. Mm. And I think what the point you made is probably most salient, which is it requires everyone else to raise their game. You know, she comes in yeah. and infuses the professionalism and then whoever else steps up and goes, holy crap, with a little bit of research and my know-how and my expertise. Yeah. What about Brad Gerlach? I think Brad would be a guy that could come in there and sort of 
um, pick apart what's happening in the heat with the with the the, the eye yeah. of a coach. Yeah, know? well, I mean, it, so part of it too is is assessing who's available to do the tour. Yeah, like it's a pretty big taxation on one's life, right? Um, and and does does the WSL and does the WSL's fans um, want that? Like right. the same team, or are they okay with having sort of a mix and match? I think there's a lot of chemistry with the team now. I think they do a phenomenal job. And when they have played with bringing in other sort of commentators from time to time, specialists, like at different areas, I really enjoy that. Like, you know, if it's Barton Lynch somewhere, totally. someone that that understands the wave and that has sort of an association with it, like I really enjoy that kind of commentary. And I think they provide like a really cool dimension for for the team that understands the sport better than anyone. I thought Barton was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Like in it. Not was he at Margaret River? Was that where it was? I think he's Bells. I know, okay. I know he's at Bells. I can't okay. remember he's at Margaret River. Yeah. yeah, so it's like with that particular location, it made a lot of sense. But I wanted to see him everywhere else too. Like he was that good. Yeah. How does um, the commentary team work? Are are people on contract for just certain events? Are they on for the year? Because it feels like the team was in place for a year, and then at the, last year, mm. and then this year. Some people went away, like Pat Parnell went away at some point. New people got introduced. But then in Rio, Mm -hmm. we saw almost – there was a a guy, Griggs? Uh, Giggs. Giggs, Giggs. who I I was not familiar with. Um, And there seemed to be some Mm fill-ins. Maybe it was a conflict with people's travel schedule. But how does that work? Well, yeah, it boils down to sort of a stable of people that the production teams worked with. Um, either consistently or in the past, sort of on one-off situations in Hawaii or in South Africa. We've worked with gigs a lot in Hawaii. We've worked a lot with Kaipo, who I think is excellent in in Hawaii. Um, And it just goes back to setting the schedule out every year and and someone having to do every event. There's only a few people that can do that. Well, let me ask you this. Um, This is kind of more to my point. There's people who I've seen kind of fail in their position and I'm surprised that they keep coming back. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's probably an opinion, right? There's probably sure. other... I mean, we, we listed our favorites earlier in the conversation. There's people that probably don't like them. And I think it's an interesting thing. Like, surfing such a global audience, it's like there there may be Australians that, that don't like the Americans. They want to see Sean Doherty or they want right. to see someone else on there. There may be Brazilians, I'd imagine, that want to see a Brazilian... Um, yeah. on the international commentary team. So, yeah, I think it's all, like, it's preferential. So, sure. I mean, I wouldn't say that any, I mean, my personal opinions that no one's failed at that job. they all done a really good job. Hmm. I just think they continue to hone that team. Yeah. Yeah, and it's something that takes a while. The hat is firmly planted on Dave's head. I see WSL and Blazing. <laughs> it's funny, like, I, I keep, I, I've listened to so many episodes where you guys, like, reference that you don't like some commentators, but I have yet to land on an episode where you tear someone apart, so... I'll have to keep digging. No, I, we, we recognize how difficult it is. And, because and we're, we're hypercritical because we want to see the, this thing improve, as you do, as we all do, as all the guys there. So, you know, we feel sort of our duty to kind of go, hey, you know what? There could be improvement here. Let's be honest. You know, where's Jim Gray? Where's mm-hmm. those guys are out there? But and they're probably, you know, who knows at, where they are? We're appreh- staffs at some print magazine that's flushing down the toilet right now. We're apprehensive, though, to really rip anybody apart because we constantly underachieve at this you know what i mean like, so we're ready to get ripped apart and we do actually get negative feedback. we don't get paid they get it's paid. it's good it's the public discussion like yeah i, I mean i is. think it's like it's, it's this thing too where the league is growing up and being like we don't need you to be we don't need every fan or media outlet to be our cheerleader 
Like yeah. we know that you're fa- we know that you right. love the sport. Like have an opinion because it's going to help everyone improve. Well, we are huge fans, and we're fans of the improvements that have been made in the last two years. And we try to call that out on the show as well. Um, we think you guys are doing a great job, and we just love watching it. So. We look forward to much more. You know, it's kind of like the the very first year that the WSL came in. I, I sort of um, I, I sort of attributed, or, or to me, it's a lot like. Game seven of a basketball series, like the final game, and you're the away team. And you have to go in and you have to endure the first five minutes of that game where the team's probably going to score the first 12 points and the fans are going to be down your throat. And if you can endure that and then kind of get on your horse and make your shots and get the game back to, say, 20 to 20 and we're into the second quarter, then you're going to survive. And I feel like the WSL went through that first five-minute onslaught as the away team. Mm-hmm. Because that's sort of how everyone – you were such yeah. an easy target. Everyone was like, oh, WSL. Uh, you know, like it was so easy to point and throw barbs at you. And, and now I feel like, you know what? You guys have done it, and we're on our way. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's fair. I mean, like, you, no one gets credit for disaster aversion. Right. Like, you have to feel it to be like, oh, that was bad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and And I think, too, that, like – the the WSL in a lot of ways, and I can speak as a fan and I guess as an employee of the, the ASP previously, like saved professional surfing. Like, I mean, the way I looked at it was I was not only excited about the plans of the acquisition group, it was if we're not acquired, like we might not be here. I doubt that. I think pro surfing was going to exist in some well, form. There would be an iteration, right? Yeah. But it would be, look, I mean, here's the reality, right? The, the WSL has brought in global commercial and media partnerships that that revenue reallocated ensures that we get Fiji and J-Bay. Like, yeah, without a sponsorship. Well, they do have, they have, I, they have many, say, many sponsorships, but they don't have a title sponsor, yeah, exactly. right? Pre-acquisition, we would not have those. No, let's say that it didn't happen. Let's say that pro surfing flushed down the toilet. We didn't know what we were doing. I'm quite confident that somebody like Red Bull would step up and go, you know what? Let's have John John Florence, Gabe Medina, and Kelly Slater in a three-hour heat at and we're going to determine, and, and that would and exist. Something it's like totally that, an iteration yeah. is going to happen. It was, but their goal wouldn't be to unearth and develop the best surfing on the planet. It would be to pluck them and put them on stage, right? As we said before, like without that development system or without a, an iteration of that development system, Gabrielle doesn't come through. Right. We don't have a world champ right now. And whether you like his surfing or not, like he's undeniably one of the. Okay, we're seeing Tom Curran out there. That's yeah. (laughs) Let's bring him back. Hey, we've got to wind this down. That's good. I got to pee. I appreciate (laughs) you being here, Dave Scales, and I, Dave Prodan from the WSL. Thanks so much for stopping in. This has been an insightful, informative, engaging conversation. We appreciate it. Cool. Is there a way for listeners to get a hold of you? Social media? Do you care? Or do you want to promote anything? Hell no. He doesn't want anyone getting hold of him. No, I mean, I'm on social media. I don't don't think the last time I posted was in October, so it's probably not beneficial to the listeners. But um, look, follow the WSL. They they do cool SHIT, to quote Wayne Bartholomew. What did you do in October that deemed you worthy to post? Did you do a top turn and left somewhere? Let me no, I would never put my surfing photos on the tour, on, on Instagram. No, it's funny enough is I posted like I woke up early in the morning in the dark and looked out over the, the bridge in Hasegore and there was like steam on the lake. And I'm pretty sure that was like my comment was like yeah. steam, steam on Duloc. And the funny thing is, 
is like, I don't know if it's because it's the last thing I posted, but I don't, I mean, I, I mostly check it for other people's posts and like yeah. news aggregation, yeah. essentially. But I'll get like the odd like from random people on that photo, and I'm like, how are people finding this photo? Like, I don't understand how it works, but it's, it's, a dead, bra- like, it's a brave new world. Time for a Game of Thrones post, man. Like, All right, well, look, until next time, um, adios and aloha. Well, thank you guys. And there you have it. Shout out again to Mr. Proden and the WSL. Thrilled with the work that you guys are doing. Appreciate the openness and honesty. And um, worldsurfleague.com is their website. We'll link to it on surfsplendorpodcast.com. I also wanted to say that the J-Bay Open is upcoming, and I think it starts July 6th. If you want to play in our Fantasy League, fantasysurfer.com is the website, and then go to the clubhouse, set your team, create an account, set a team, go to the clubhouse, search Surf Splendor, and simply join. You join for free. There's about 400 people in that clubhouse. And um, if you would like to actually wager on it, we do allow that option as well. You could send me 10 bucks per event via PayPal. And there's directions for how to do that on surfsplendorpodcast.com, but it's pretty simple. Log on to PayPal, send 10 bucks to hello at surfsplendorpodcast.com. That's my email address. And then um, include your name, your email address, and then most importantly, your handle, your name on Fantasy Surfer so that I could apply your money correctly and then pay you if you win. That is an important detail. And uh, winner takes all. Just whoever gets the highest score in that wager pool wins the cash payout. Last time, I think it was about 200 I don't know, $270 or something. So out of the 400 people, you know, 20 to 30 play each time. So that's always fun. And, uh, you know, rate and review the show in iTunes. That helps. And then share the show with friends. That helps. Hope that you enjoyed today's show. Leave a comment about it on our website in the comments section. I would like to have Dave or somebody from the WSL maybe back quarterly or every half a year or something to address the things that come up in the various events. Um, you know, we'll, we'll compile a list through all the shows that we do regularly and then every six months have somebody maybe and just ask them all the burning questions. I think that would be a really cool thing to incorporate if we can talk him into driving down from the Santa Barbara area to San Clemente quite a community all right thanks for tuning in thanks for listening we'll be back asap i'm hoping next week but no promises because again we are both working adults trying to fit this in to our recreational hours all right so hopefully we'll be back then but if not certainly every two weeks this is david scales bidding you adieu saying thanks for listening get out in the ocean catch a couple waves and shred on